Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And from the home of the world champion, Houston Astros. I always love saying that. As, all, as always, I'm joined midweek by my co-host, Sean Bajani with Sports Radio 610. Between the two of us, you're getting 45 years combined in sports journalism, 35 years covering Houston sports, so you're in good hands. Plenty of Astros and Texans coming up, by the way. And for your Rockets fix, listen to my Rockets conversation yesterday with our new weekly guest, Frank, from HTX Chop Shop. So you'll get your hands full of Red Nation on that. And Sean, lots of news since our Astros championship postgame show. Dusty Baker is back, but Crane and Click have irreconcilable differences from what we can tell right now. We're recording this on Wednesday evening. They have not okayed anything. It doesn't look good. When the Jim Crane tell-all book comes out, Sean, it's not going to be pretty, I don't think. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're, not, we're not exactly there at divorce yet. Um, just as you said, it's, there's, there's differences there. There's a chasm there. Um, we don't know necessarily how, how, how deep of one, um, you know, the breadth of this thing, exactly what it is, what it stems from. If it's really even, uh, Robert, more of a separation between Dusty and Click rather than Click and just Crane and in and of itself. Um, I tend to think it's a little bit of everything that this is sort of a um, a, a very difficult triangle, if you will. Um, and it, if that's the case, then it's something that's probably existed um, from the first couple of weeks, from the first couple of months uh, that this trio got together back in 2019. And that's pretty remarkable considering what exactly they've done as a team, as a unit, as a front office, everybody is a franchise since 2019. ALCSs every single year, three World Series appearances and one title to show for it. I'm not going to jump off on the deep end yet. You and I talked about an initial report a couple of months ago. It might not have even been that long, Robert, but I know it was during the regular season with just a couple of three weeks remaining in it. When a report first came out, I think via The Athletic, it could have been Rosenthal that had it, but somebody had that that story about, hey, there's a little bit of unrest, you know, maybe Click's not coming back. Sure, this is ex something that's existed for quite a while, but I'm not ready to, you know, panic button's the wrong word. I'm just not ready to say anything definitive on that of there being a divorce between Crane and James Click yet. Jim Crane does not have a reputation to this point of being a people person. He has been an incredible owner. Everybody loves him right now. But I hearken back to Jerry Jones in the 90s or Steinbrenner in the 70s. Both owners made one great move after another the first few years. It led to championships. Everybody thought, hey, I'm a genius. Both Steinbrenner and Jones were geniuses until they thought they were, Sean. Until they thought they were, you got to be careful about that. You know, if you're talking about guys getting a little bit too big for their britches, I think that's probably my biggest concern with Jim Crane is that, you know, every report that we've kind of read about over the course of the last um, certainly few days, uh, but I feel like it's been pretty well documented over the course of the last few months at the very least with how active Jim Crane has been in certain contract negotiations um, trades that did and did not go down. We certainly know how active he was in the acquisition of Justin Verlander um, years back. 
Um, and now we've come to find out just how active that he uh, and Dusty Baker were in a trade that did not go down involving Jose, Jose Arquiti and uh, Contreras from the Chicago Cubs, their catcher. So I, I think, you know, my biggest concern right now is less James Click returning and more Jim Crane kind of thinking that he can do a lot of this by himself. Um, sometimes it's okay when, especially you're coming off of a year in which you just won the World Series, and really in large part, your team's not going to change that drastically. Yes, they have some free agents, but your core is intact. Your staff is intact. There's some improvements you need to make, obviously, in the outfield, first base, and uh, probably even the catching position and some spots in the bullpen. Every team goes through this every year. But James Click, you know, I, I think deserves a little bit of credit, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, because he came from a successful franchise before the Houston Astros, where the Tampa Bay Rays, they had stripped themselves down. They had to make serious personnel decisions. They had to make um, guys matter in the draft. They had to develop a farm system. They had to do all of the things the Astros need to continue to do. And so Dusty Baker got a one-year deal. If it's years and money that maybe is the chasm at the end of the day between Crane and Click, I don't know. If it's philosophy, I don't know. I tend to think it's probably both of those things and maybe some other differences that they do have behind closed doors on a day-to-day -day business operation standpoint. But I just have to believe that you know, for you to kind of keep things together and find the right guy, your guy, if he doesn't exist this offseason, it's okay to roll forward with a guy that didn't do anything to, to deter your success over the course of the last four years or three years in James Click. Yeah, a couple of things about the Contreras rumors. Uh, it was it was out this week that they were pursuing him uh, in free agency. Number one, that is happening according to reports, but two on Wilson Contreras. James Click had a deal to send Arquiti to the Cubs for the all-star catcher, but Crane and Dusty nixed the trade. A couple of quick thoughts that I had on that. Yes, it worked out, but let's remember, Arquiti wasn't much needed in the postseason. I know that James Click thought, we probably aren't going to pitch him as a starter in the postseason. He, he knew that at the time. He also knew Hunter Brown was really good. And I don't know if Jim Crane's out there in Sugarland and he's talking to the coaches about Hunter Brown every day. I, I'm sure James Click was doing that. So he anticipated that. Contreras, 800 career OPS, which might have helped just a tad in the postseason, even as a DH option. So the idea that, you know, Click was right. Yeah, he does get to keep Urquidy. They did win the World Series. But, you know, some things had to go right for them to win the World Series that you don't know is going to happen. And frankly, I, I think that was a very reasonable trade and a very good trade for the Astros to get an all-star level catcher. And everybody just, you know, raves about Maldi. And I love Maldi and we love Maldi and everybody loves Maldi. And I get it. And I get that there's also chemistry, but sometimes talent matters too. And Contreras, like I said, all-star, three-time all-star, one of the best catchers in baseball, both offensively, and defensively. You make great points. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We can look at the numbers. We can look at the talent. We can look at the age. We can look at what he meant. And really the improvement that Contreras has made over the course of the last couple of years, the 
the advanced statistics lend itself out to that, that he became a improved defensive catcher over the course of the last couple of years. Um, now, the one thing that I would say to that, and it's something that, Robert, you and I just can't possibly know um, unless, uh, you know, we're talking to the right people or unless we were uh, in those meetings or behind closed doors or with this team every single day. I can just tell you that everything that we've learned throughout the course of this playoff run and World Series run is just how vital, and I, I don't think that's too strong of a word, uh, but just how vital that personalities and confidence and those intangible things, how important they were to individuals on this team, to Dusty's success, and to maybe being the centerpiece of what really helped the players rally around Dusty at the end of the day. I don't think it was just a narrative created by the media and the players latched onto it. I really do believe that Dusty plays an integral part in the day-to-day -day process of how guys are able to respond to adversities and how he's able to get them to think differently and positively on a consistent basis. I mean, he is a legend in the game long before him and the Astros were synonymous um, and before the Reds and before the Cubs. I mean, his years with the Giants, um, you know, speak for themselves, um, in my opinion, and just his days as a player. So I think that has a lot to do with um, the chemistry and things that did work and what is important and why that trade in particular did not go down because, you could talk a little actual baseball if you wanted to and having the new guy come in and immediately pick right up as a starter with this staff. It's not an easy thing to do. If it was Christian Vasquez, you know, wouldn't have waited about a week and a half, two weeks before he came aboard to actually catch a game for this team and serve in a function other than a pinch hit role or as a late game platoon. But you know, remember so I, what I said at the end of what I was talking about, what Contreras could bring, even as a DH option, the Astros, if you carry a third catcher and you're seeing that man see in the World Series, they could have done this. Uh, they didn't do it until there was an injury, but they could have carried a third catcher and said, hey, forget the Contreras is a catcher. He's one of the best five or six hitters on the Astros. And he would have been 800 OPS. Let me repeat career 800 OPS like you add that to this lineup and all of this you know Trey Mancini and Aledbas Diaz not being able to get the bat on the ball and striking out could have made those games just a tad bit easier that that's my point it's not just that he, he could have caught he, he would have gotten in Maldi's way because Christian Vasquez helped you out when he was a DH in game six sure he helped you out in game six but he also helped you out as a catcher um, I don't think he allowed a run to score during the time that he caught a baseball game for the Houston Astros, which is pretty damn incredible if you think about it. But I would also say this, you know, from a business side, from a future standpoint, um, who's a free agent right now? It's Wilson Contreras, correct? And, and Christian Vasquez. <laughs> okay, fine. And Christian Vasquez. But during the time that this deal would have went down, it was before the Astros made a deal for Vasquez and Trey Mancini. This was all a part of the conversations before they, you know, pulled the trigger on any one of those guys. So maybe the Astros were looking at it contractually and saying, okay, well, if this guy's not going to come in and catch right away, um, yeah, sure, he could serve as a DH, 
but does he want that? Is he going to be happy with that? Does he want to play in the field every day versus, hey, here's a guy in Trey Mancini who we could get for next to nothing. And if he comes in and does have success, well, we got a $10 million option on his contract, which we'd be more than happy to pick up given the status of my, uh, Michael Brantley at the end of the year. And if he hits and he works out, well, he plays multiple positions. He could very well serve as a DH option in the playoffs. And unfortunately for the Astros, I mean, it was impossible to know that a guy in Trey Mancini, who for six years in Major League Baseball is a proven commodity, is a very good hitter, pretty good on base guy, has some pop, and didn't give you any of that, unfortunately, during his time here with the Houston Astros until the last game when you absolutely needed performances out of two guys in Vasquez and Mancini they both make their plays, and they do just enough to prevent you uh, from losing a game, extending the series, and that's what you did. I mean, at the end of the day, whether it comes down to one play or one hell of a final two and a half months of a season after the trade deadline, they did their job. They want to win. They want to rank. If you go to my Twitter, I have a long thread. Some of that I have talked about on our post-game shows and our, and our uh, podcast over the last few months about what James Click has done over the last three years. Uh, if you don't know, you need to go there and check it out again because I go through that. But just one thing I want to pick from that. We've talked about how incredible the bullpen is that James Click put together. But Sean, you can make the case that this was not just the best Astros bullpen, not just a great all-time bullpen. This is likely the best bullpen ever, exclamation point. Of the 94 postseason bullpens who pitched more than 35 innings in a postseason, the Astros' bullpen had a .83 ERA, lowest ever. Their opponent batting average, lowest ever. Opponent on base, lowest ever. Opponent slugging, lowest ever. Whip, lowest ever. Like, I just go on and on. That's how great this postseason bullpen was. They did it all while using Ryan Stanek in three total innings. The same Ryan Stanek who had a 1.15 ERA, best ever by an Astros bullpen arm. They did this all barely using Hunter Brown, one of the best young arms in baseball. They did it all while not needing Seth Martinez, another guy that James Click brought in in Rule 5 for zero that has been great this year, has a two ERA. They did it all using Luis Garcia only a couple of different times. I mean, it was incredible. And this is about what James Click did just this season. And then let's not forget, you know, the, the people that really matter as well behind the scenes, you know, the scouts, advanced scouting, um, you know, player development uh, guys, you know, people that are behind the scenes with significant roles, um, that are just as responsible for the success of this team as the man at the forefront, the guys that are going to take, um, you know, a lot of the criticism um, and also get a lot of the kudos as well, whether it be Crane, Click, or Dusty Baker. So my, my one of my concerns, too, is losing some of those lieutenants, as teams typically do in all sports after they experience uh, the highest of success. Um, you know, Joe Espada, their bench coach, is somebody that I want to make sure that the Astros are able to retain. And I think it's probably a worse than 50-50 shot that they don't because his name has been bandied about over the course of the last couple of years as a real top-notch managerial candidate in baseball. So if he gets a job that he likes that appeals to him, I worry about that. I worry about, you know, um, Brent Strong descendants in, in their pitching coach, Josh Wilson. 
You know, how long is he going to stick around? I worry about James Click's lieutenants. You know, I worry about the scouting department. Guys are going to get opportunities and will have opportunities to better their careers and do the same thing that they've helped do for the Houston Astros with somebody else. Because at the end of the day, Robert, you know, James Click said it um, while in Las Vegas uh, yesterday, I believe it was, right? After he left the parade, went up to, went over to Vegas to get ready for the GM meetings. You know, he, he said, like, I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to working with the people that I do and, and just trying to become the very best I can. That's a Major League Baseball general manager that just won the World Series, and there's no rest. He's over there working without a contract. I think one of only two general managers in Vegas to do so, him and Brian Cashman with the New York Yankees. And can you imagine the razzing that he's probably getting from everybody else in baseball? Like, you're over here working for free, bro. And and what? You might not even have a job beyond this week. And he's out there doing his job, preparing the roster for next season. You can't tell me that there's not scouts and player development guys and his lieutenants that are on that trip with him that are trying to do the very best they possibly can for the Astros, but also, too, for their next step, whatever that may be. Yeah, James James Click has been such a pro. I mean, that can't go unsaid either. And and I just, again, uh, Jim Crane, at some point, people are not maybe going to want to work with this guy as much success as they've had if he continues to treat people like this. And it's not the fact that he's gotten rid of somebody or hasn't gotten rid of somebody. It's just how he's handled the human resource part, the human part of human resource part, which is is frustrating. And you talk about the things that James Click's got to do. Uh, did not exercise options on Will Smith or Trey Mancini. Mancini, semi-surprise, uh, Will Smith were expecting, but it was a $10 million option on Mancini. Two thoughts, Sean. Number one, maybe they're confident about bringing Yuli back. Number two, they're confident they can find a cheaper option at first base than Mancini at $10 million, potentially. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe it doesn't have to be a cheaper option. Maybe it's just a better option. Maybe it's a little bit more expensive. Maybe it's a little bit more talent. The youngest and most talented free agent first baseman out there on the market that I know of, his name is Josh Bell. And he was available during the trade market as well. At what cost, it certainly wasn't something that the Astros found appealing, but that's something that I would pay pretty close attention to. I know Yuli wants to be back and the fans want Yuli back. After you win a World Series, you want everybody back because they're the guys that did it. Those are the guys that you fell in love with. Don't forget, Josh Bell kind of fell on his face in the playoffs this year, too. So he did not he did not have a good one. That's fair. But you know what's better in Major League Baseball this day and age than anything else um, in, at any point maybe that I've seen in my lifetime is pitching. You know, good pitching is going to beat good hitting uh, every single time. I mean, the pitching in today's game is just freaking amazing, which makes what Jordan Alvarez and Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper, all of these guys, what they do so freaking special. But I think Yuli's a guy to pay attention to. I think Michael Brantley is still a guy to pay attention to. I don't know if you and I had this conversation the other night or not. I can't remember who it was with, but I mean, you know, Michael Brantley, and actually it finally came out. I think it might've been a Jeff Passan piece uh, who wrote a long piece on him, various things with the Houston Astros, but had a little nugget or two in there about Michael Brantley, just how impactful he was during this postseason stretch, but also too, how he got, impactful- he got a, he got a b- game baseball. And after he gave a, an incredibly important, 
pregame talk to the Astros. If people yes. didn't see that. Yes, but that's not just one time. I mean, this is a guy that is readily available and has been over the last, you know, few months since he's been recovering and rehabbing his shoulder from surgery. And he's been in the dugout. He's been with his guys every day in the clubhouse and film rooms available for advice, conversations. And he's able to pick things up that maybe other guys aren't. Maybe he's able to see something that Alex Centron can't. And they talk. I mean, it's not just that everybody has their role. And because it's not your role, you sit there and you shut up. No, these guys are talking every day. They are trying to figure everything out and find an advantage as much as possible. And I think Michael Brantley is a huge part of that. But age, money, I get it. The guy for 12 years running has been probably one of the most complete, most pure hitters, most professional guys in all of Major League Baseball. And it's a damn shame that the bulk of his career was lost in the armpit of Major League Baseball in Cleveland. And now that he'd come to Houston, you know, it's he's he's tasted what what loss feels like on the biggest stage. But now he's tasted victory and what that's like on the biggest stage. And I'll tell you what, Dusty's got the opportunity to run it back for a second year and try to win another title, you know, as uh, I say a second year. I mean, it'd be his fourth year as Astros manager, but, um, you know, try to go get a second title. It sure would be something if Michael Brantley could be an active part of doing just that, Um, not for the feel goods, but because I think the guy can still play. Hey, I'm not going to tell you I hate Michael Brantley. Everybody loves Michael Brantley. My one thing about Michael Brantley, though, is he's injured a lot. Uh, Jordan Alvarez can't play left field all the time because of injuries and other, you know, just Jordan's not going to be out there a lot. Michael Brantley's got to, you know, you don't want both of those guys taking up a lot of your DH time when you want to be able to use the DH to rest some other guys. So as much as I love Michael Brantley, I just want somebody that I don't have to worry about being injured all the time when he's, when he's there, he's fantastic, but it's it's one of those things. Is it worth it over the long haul? Obviously, it's worth it to have Michael Brantley around for the playoffs. But at this point, I'm like, man, <laughs> I need I need somebody that's going to be able to go out and play left field and not have, that I'm not going to have to jam into DH all the time. You're right. I mean, his situation is probably one of those in which you know you certainly don't revolve your off season around, but rather. If he fits in and you got some other things accomplished, like center field, like catching, like first base, and if he's able to kind of fit in and you can reap those benefits, then I think that's probably a deal that you do. Um, Because, you know, look, I I still don't think he swung a bat. You know, it's got to get to that point in time. So what I, the Astros and every other major league baseball club, have the time and Brantley's got the time to kind of sit back this off season, see what his recovery is going to be like, see what it's like swinging a bat before anybody has to make a real decision on him. So unfortunately for the Astros, they still have to make a decision on the guy that's going to be making, or at least gets paid to make the bulk of the decisions in the off season. And that's a general manager. Is that going to be click? Is that going to be somebody else? Who knows? All right, let's forget about the future for a second. It's, it's still the week that we had the parade. And while Sean was stuck covering a, Texans press conference. I was at the parade. Sorry, you missed out, Sean. And uh, I got four stories from the parade that are pretty good. First off, waited over two hours from the time I got in my spot to when the Astros players finally get to our spot on Smith Street. The fans, they're in a great mood the whole time. Everybody's chill until literally a minute or two before the floats with the Astros come by. I can hear the sound, the noise, the thunder. 
And all of a sudden, some dude starts wailing on another dude, not more than 25 or 30 feet from me. I'm like, come on, man. Come on. Now, what are you doing? Luckily, quickly broken up by the people around them. Number two story. I'm walking after it's over. I see a guy wearing a classic Billy Doran 80s jersey. Doran was one of my favorite Astros growing up. The dude looks to be in his 20s. So I said, hey, man, really cool jersey. He says, it's my mom's jersey. Doran's her favorite player. I think she liked him because he was cute. So, Sean, just put me in an assisted living facility because, man, I'm old. That was just, it was very sad for me to hear that. (laughs) Number three story, this is my favorite. When I'm walking out of downtown with the massive crowd of people who are headed down Dallas Street, we're walking on the bridge that goes over 45 through downtown. The cars on 45 are barely moving. I don't know if it's traffic or if they just see us, but they're honking horns at us nonstop. Hundreds of fans in Astros gear crossing over the bridge. The, the, the people down below, they're waving in their cars. I mean, when else do you get a moment like that, Sean? It was great. It was so special. I'm so jealous that you got a chance to go. And I, I don't know why the Texans held a press conference during a parade. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> so Texans. Uh, that is so Texans. How often? It's a football town, as Bill O'Brien will tell you. It's a football town. This city's <laughs> 185 years old, man. Right? This country is 250 years old. How often does your town get a chance to have a parade? Like a parade in 2022. Like, who has parades anymore? You get the Thanksgiving Day parade. Like, I don't even know if they have like St. Patrick's Day parades anymore. Like, let the Texans go out and smell what a parade looks like, and maybe it'll get them inspired a little bit. Hey, I'm speaking one last thing about the parade. I got one last story. And if you're not on Twitter, go check out my video that I shot of the Astros with the World Series trophy passing me by. The video went viral because Ryan Stanek was holding up a T-shirt. Did you see this, Sean? Yeah, Hose Mad. He's <laughs> he's holding up that a T-shirt great. that says Hose Mad. And, I mean, who else but Stanek? That was classic. Just classic I Stanek. Seen, I haven't seen a shirt like that. Like, his wife must, like, have a cricket or something and pounded that shirt out, like, you know, the morning of or the night before or something. Because I haven't seen a shirt like that yet. But Oh, I, I'm getting the link on my post because who's ever selling it, that the link is up there. So you probably... You probably can find that in my mentions after the tweet. Oh, let me know, too, because my wife's got a cricket and she pounds Astro shirts out left and right. So if you want a hose mad shirt, I'll get her on that right away. But man, like just real one, a parade, Robert, a parade like you don't have a parade every day. Like you can't have a press conference during a parade. And that is what it is. And I, I guess we'll talk Texans here in a little bit. But I mean, my gosh, like. That the city, I don't know how they do the estimate. I don't, I don't know if I've seen a final number. I heard before the parade happened that they were expecting one and then one and a half and then two million. I mean, it's like, oh, I caught a fish, it was this big, and then next week it turns out to be this big. So that kind of thing. I don't know how many people there was. I just know I was there as a 12 year old kid after the Rockets won their first title in 1994. And I was right there in front of the Smith Street garage, that iconic building in which, you know, unfortunately, it's 
only had four total parades in front of it from their sports teams. But I mean, I remembered that and I got nostalgic over that. And seeing those photos, I don't remember looking like that. I remember people hanging out of the, the, the windows and, you know, maybe we were like 10 deep. It looked like they were just like curb to the wall of Smith Street Garage deep. You couldn't move. And it was that way just for a mile and a half. It just looked incredible. So I was, I know things happen during a parade. It's going to when you get that many people close together and you can't move and you're mad, you got to pee and all this stuff. But I was really proud of the city um, on, on a different level that day. So like big props to the, to the city of H-Town, man. I counted. It was 1,300,452. No, I have no idea, but <laughs> just the city block that you were in. <laughs> I was out there the, for the first parade. I, I, I was, I couldn't tell, but Bregman said he saw twice as many people. So he had a better, he has a better vantage point where he was than, than yeah. the rest of us. So I'll, I guess I'll go with Bregman. Uh, by the way, we need you to subscribe, like, and comment as always on YouTube. It's a great way to support the show. Don't forget about our live Texans post game show on Sunday. And Sean, that brings us to the boys on Kirby uh, who screw up a parade. Uh, <laughs> Brandon cooks decided to show up. This week. Thank you, Brandon Cooks. But I'm more excited and I want to talk about Nico being back at practice. How did he look? Uh, he looked good in individual drills this morning. I mean, he was dressed and stretching, which I was kind of surprised at. I didn't expect to see him in shoulder pads and a helmet, but he was out there doing drills, looked quick. And if you told me that he's ramping up, the dude looks freaking ready to go. If he if he didn't play against the Giants on Sunday, I would be surprised to be quite honest with you. Just what I saw from him today. Um, Lovey always talks about a ramp up process and that typically with them, they like to have guys after an injury practice for a week and then come back the following, um, you know, he looked too damn good today. Um, and it's just, I think he probably plays unless there's a setback and it really kind of comes down to usage too. He could play and they could have like maybe a number of packages for him. Maybe he's not getting his typical number of snaps because we saw, Philip Dorsett over the course of the last three weeks, his snaps have steadily increased. Um, Chris Moore's snaps have steadily increased. So I think it is also about getting some other guys involved. And at least they do have one game without not just Collins, but Cooks as well um, that weren't available to him in that Eagles game to see what the offense looks like. And to be quite honest with you, it just it looked just as good and just as bad, uh, you know, without both of those guys in it. What's up with Brandon Cooks? Was he just hanging out with Kyrie last week? What was his excuse? Well, he didn't talk today again. His usual availability is Wednesday, which I found kind of odd because he was at practice today. He was stretching, but he did not participate in drills or team activities. He was on a bicycle when they broke off to individuals after stretching this morning. Um, he's usually at the podium after Davis Mills on Wednesday. Not the case today for the second straight week. Um, he's had one availability, and that's when we all caught him at his locker after, um, wow. I think it was after after one of those games the last couple of weeks, I can't remember. And we asked him about the trade and he was like, Hey, that's internal. Um, and that was it. We've heard that from him. And then just what he's tweeted, which he has not taken down. And I found quite interesting, but also within the last 24 hours, that tweet that he made on the trade deadline after it expired on the first, it was pinned last night and unpinned today. So as cryptic as these dudes are, I don't know what to make of that, but hopefully he'll be available at some point in time this week. I think the Texans should have suspended him without pay. They have paid him very handsomely with this contract extension. You got to show up. I mean, I'm sorry that the team is bad, but 
you signed the contract extension. Uh, you could have said, can you move me in the offseason? You didn't do it. Were you expecting anything different this year? To me, it sounds whiny baby stuff to me from from Brandon Cooks. If, if it was anything but injury last week, anything but injury, it's whiny baby. Chris Moore talked about it yesterday. We asked him, you know, what it's like uh, dealing with Brandon Cooks, missing him last week. And then now he's back in the building. And he said, hey, look, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we just knew that everybody else was ready to step up. But as far as his absence was concerned, he's like, hey, in the receiver room, we all understood it's a part of the business. But that's the key. In the receiver room, you got a lot of veterans in there, okay? Um, and look, Nico's not considered a veteran. He's a second-year player, but he understands the business after being in the league for a little bit, especially being in a room with guys like Chris Moore and Tyron Johnson, Tyler Johnson, Philip Dorsett, guys that have kind of come and gone, tight ends. They spend a lot of time together, too, uh, working the uh, receiver game plans and things like that. So, I mean, they got it, but my biggest concern was just like the overall look and feel of the team. You got a lot of young guys in that locker room, whether it's drafted, undrafted, um, it's about setting an example. And I almost think that, I, I don't know this, but I, I think that probably Lovey Smith played a little bit of peacemaker in the situation and extended some grace to that of Brandon Cooks and just of hopes that he's able to fan the flames a little bit, get him back in the building and just kind of calm the waters a bit. I think it's going to be really interesting to see who Brandon Cooks, by the way, is still the team leader in targets, receptions, and yards um, through almost 10 weeks of the season. Okay, and that's with a depleted role from this year, from last year, when he caught a career high 90 passes. I think it's a lot of drops, too, which, by the way, you not showing up after you're not performing is not very impressive. Targeted 134 times last year, 90 catches, still a career high. Um, But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he factors into the offensive game plan over the course of the next month. Uh, as it seems like Davis Mills is trying to really figure out some chemistry with other receivers on this team and just become, as best he possibly can in this situation, a more complete quarterback, more well-rounded guy. Did I see that Levy was saying stuff that he was like, hey, if you if you don't know um, Danny Dimes, uh, he's a pretty good athlete. Like, who doesn't know Danny Dimes is a good – do you follow the NFL? I, I think I saw that on, on the pre- – what did he say there? That was, to me, it was overblown. You know, it, it was really kind of a stupid thing that you'd make for talk radio or whatever. I heard it, you know, even some of our guys talked about it. I just think it was kind of overblown. If you're in the press conference room, you know, every week with Lovey, that's just the way that he is. Like, he's a very cynical, sarcastic person. Um, he will tell you things that he knows you know, and he likes to play off. You know, like, I, I want to scoop my eyeballs out because it's been a, joke that ended really about three weeks ago, the pronunciation of Tavier Thomas's name. It's Tavier, not Tavier, and that whole thing. And he plays that up. And it, to me, that was just nothing. It was like, in case you didn't know, Dan Jones is a pretty good athlete. So like nobody's questioning that. Everybody knows that and Lovey knows that. I mean, if you just listen to his response, he validated why we all know he's a freaking good athlete. Scored the most touchdowns on the ground this year he's on pace to obliterate a lot of his numbers that he's accumulated over the course of the last three years since becoming a rookie um so i think that was just overblown dan jones is good um but i think there's also some things there that you know the texans are looking at with the giants turnaround that they feel like they should be able to do with a strong run game and just adding a little bit more talent around those guys 
Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see that game, how that unfolds this week, how they attack them with the blitz and how they handle the blitz, a Giants team that does it more than anybody else in the league by far, 42% on quarterback dropbacks this year. Yeah, it could get ugly with Saquon and Danny Jones. And we're going to have, by the way, uh, Andy Rio is coming on. Uh, he took the week off. I gave him a bye week with all the Astros World Series stuff last week. But he's going to be on tomorrow's show. We're going to talk fantasy football. We're going to go around the NFL. We're going to talk a little tech. We always talk a little Texans off the top. So you get a little Texans fix. If you want to turn it off after the Texans thing, I'm fine with that. But at least watch the first few minutes because I'm going to ask him about the tech. He was kind of forced to watch the Texans this past week because they were on Thursday night football. So he he probably saw more of them than he wanted to see, like most of the country did. But uh, hey, uh, good to catch up with you. Wish you could have been out there with me for the parade. Uh, but uh, you'll get, it'll be, we'll have another one next year, right? Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, I hope so. I, I'm going to make that. I'm going to make that one. I'm going to sacrifice uh, work for the day to make that next one. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks for doing this, brother. We'll see you in a few days. All right, Robert. Appreciate you, man. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.